We're back with the National Signing Day episode of Hear the Spear. I'm Ryan Stalder, accompanied by my co-host Ethan Vaughn. We're going to dive into Taggart's first class at Florida State and uh, what what these guys really bring to the table today. So without further ado, what's going on, Ethan? Not a whole lot, just hanging easy. Had a had a long day following the uh, antics of National Signing Day. It's always one of my favorite days of the year. Oh yeah, it's like Christmas Day. So yeah, yeah, got a whole new set of new set of FSU players to look forward to watching while they're at Florida State. So um, yeah, it, it's definitely a great day, kind of a day to have a little bit of excitement around the program without any negative any negativity for the most part. Um, a little bit here and there. So today. We signed, we being Florida State, signed uh, a handful of new players. But since, considering it's the, the Tribe 18 as a whole is now officially inked, I say we, we go through uh, just position by position, obviously focusing more on the, the recent commits being today and this week than, than the, the, the commits who have been um, pledged to Florida State for months. But I say we go through the positions, starting with uh, quarterback, because that, that'll be a short one. Yeah, no signees or commits at quarterback. Uh, Florida State ended up losing out um, on James Foster to Texas A&M and Jimbo Fisher. Uh, it's pretty short, but I think Florida State fans are, are kind of some are, you know, obviously disappointed that you missed out on a guy that you put as much time into recruiting as um, Willie Taggart and staff did down the stretch with James Foster. But I also think you got to realize, you know, uh, as a Florida State fan. We are as a Florida State fan base. We know Jimbo Fisher's flaws as well as anybody, but one of his flaws over his career, for the most part, hasn't been you know developing quarterbacks. So that's one of the things he can really sell, and ultimately, that that's why it's not too big of a surprise that that James Foster opted for Texas A and M, and it doesn't hurt FSU too much. They just need to to sign an elite quarterback next class. The good news here for Florida State fans is that they're really. If you if you take every taking everything into consideration, James Blackman and Bailey Hockman will be sophomores this year and juniors next year. So hypothetically, it, whatever there will be a quarterback next year. That's not really hypothetically. Whatever quarterback or quarterbacks FSU signs next year will have at least one year to sit, assuming I mean all hell doesn't break loose between Blackman, Francois, and um of course, Hawkman. So the, the good thing is FSU did sign two at least formidable quarterbacks in uh, 2017. So if you had to have a, a year without a quarterback, it was this year. But we can move on to running back. Um, okay, so running back, there was, as of last night, Ethan, if you asked me if FSU signs a running back this class, I probably would have said like 80% chance no, just because... They hadn't, uh, after they lost out on um, Ja'Shawn Corbin, Ja'Shawn Corbin, um, when, when Jimbo left and it, it didn't seem like Taggart and staff could kind of pique his interest anymore. Um, after they lost out on him, I was kind of like, uh, there's not really any running back on the board left worth taking. Of course, at that time, uh, Grant from Tennessee wasn't on the board or at least uh, on the public board. So today, Florida State flipped three-star Tennessee running back commit, and I'll let Ethan uh, just expand a little bit more on that. It was a really interesting decision. I ultimately didn't think he'd opt. uh, Many didn't think he'd opt for Florida State just because of the depth chart at Florida State. And it kind of shows you, I I guess that's a really positive quality right off the bat that you can take about uh, this kid is that he's not afraid of competition. Uh, He's not going to be scared of anybody. And I think he actually might, you you might see him... um, Later in his career, I think he's like a position change candidate. If he doesn't get too big, you might see him at safety, maybe at linebacker. Um, I think he might be a position change candidate down the road. Uh, but ultimately, it's a pretty impressive pull by, by Willie Taggart to overcome that, that depth chart argument from other schools to, to get him in the class. Um, so, so I think that's one of the biggest things I take from it is it's just impressive and it shows you the kind of uh, recruiting skills that Taggart has to be able to sell that to Grant. Yeah, two things I take away from from Grant's commitment, uh, other than the main re- thing that he he completely ignored the depth chart, which is encouraging um, for for him as a competitor, I guess. But two things I take away is one, he's from Georgia, which 
in times like this, it's always good to establish relationships in the state of Georgia when Kirby Smart is on an absolute tear right now. Uh, another thing that uh, I just wanted to point out is um, Anthony Grant, Taggart said today, will stay on offense, at least for the foreseeable future, or at least that's what he plans to do. He made a uh, kind of sarcastic comment about not not wanting to give him over to the defensive staff. So, so yeah, I think that, yeah, um, right now you start him out there, um, see what happens, and, and then go from there. So let's, I say we jump to receiver, which... In my my opinion, and I know we talked about this a little on Twitter today. Not not we could not too much that we can't have a discussion now. But in my opinion, FSU signed the best wide receiver class since uh, the Bobby Bowden era today. And I think that's a point you can definitely argue. Um, like I said, you know, you said that on Twitter, and, and I said I think that the 2014 class may have been better on paper. And Florida St- or in 2014, Florida State signed three receivers. Two of them were top 50 players in Urban Lane and Travis Rudolph. And then you had a top 200 player right at the like one, number 199 overall in Javon Harrison. Um, you know, looking back, I think none of those guys really had the, the kind of careers at Florida State that Florida State fans would have hoped for on National Signing Day um, in, in February of 2014. So I, I think that that's you know, there might be some revisionist history in, in, in thinking that that class wasn't good on paper. Now, this class has more numbers, but they don't have the, the you know, the top 50 type player in the class. So um, it's just a quality versus quantity argument, in my opinion. Who do you think at the end of the day, and just, I guess, if we would have said this then, it would, it would be interesting to look back on it now. So we'll say it now. Who do you think the best receiver is from this group today that, that FSU signed today? And maybe if, if that's a tough question, maybe the best two or three. Um, I think that to me, Jordan Young has the highest upside. You know that he's a late rising kid, but the film you just can't you know you can't look away when you're watching the abusement it. park. Yep, the abusement park. Um, if you guys don't know, that's that's the name yeah, of his huddle highlight tape. Yeah, welcome to the abusement park. Uh, I I don't know if he's the the best um, receiver. I certainly agree that. And that's why I'm willing to say that this class is better than 2014's. Because while he's not a top 50 player recruiting ranking-wise, I think if... I don't know. This has been a weird cycle. And I think if he if he had emerged with the same talent level sooner, earlier in the process, he probably would have been an All-American and all that stuff um, that leads typically leads to a higher ranking. Um, not to make an excuse, because usually I'm a big proponent of the rankings and i think they're highly accurate uh typically but um also trayshawn harrison i think in taggart's offense could be the best um and i guess that's my pick because the, the of the emphasis on speed and like deep deep routes and just getting the ball in playmakers hands that taggart employs and less less so about um i don't know maybe I don't want to say route running because that's not the right word, but specifics and like the intangibles that a receiver needs. I feel like the, the high ceiling of uh, Trayshawn Harrison will get him on the field early and um, I guess we'll get him the ball a lot. Yeah, that's going to be interesting. You know, going off that, uh, kind of looking at the current roster, uh, maybe George Campbell is someone that, that you can see might have a breakout year under, under Taggart if he stays healthy and can catch the ball. Um, running those deep routes is, you know, kind of what what he's best at. So it's going to be interesting to see. Uh, I think yep. he might be a breakout candidate headed into next year based on the change in offense. Those are both about the same uh, caliber speed athlete. Um, Campbell's a little taller. I think Harrison's Harrison's a little bit more fluid, um, uh, better in open field, but decently similar comparison comparison wise, at least as a deep threat. Okay, uh, let's go to tight end, which, again, will be a pretty short one. But there is one person worth mentioning, so you can go ahead. Um, yeah, Cameron McDonald, tight end, they signed. He's a four-star tight end out of uh, Southern California. He's kind of an interesting player. Um, he, he's top 300 in the, in the national rankings, but he's 6'4", 220. Um, you know, he's not, he's not really in, in tight end physical condition yet he's more like a big receiver right now who they're wanting to develop into a tight end 
Um, and, and I think that's something that is going to be interesting to see in, in Taggart's offense because in a little bit more spread-type offense where you, you might not ask your tight end to do quite as much blocking, um, inline blocking, it, it's something that you can swing having a little bit of a smaller, more receiving-oriented tight end. Yeah, I agree. Um, I think I think uh, McDonald is a kind of a wait-and-see type player. Obviously, mm-hmm. the potential's there, and that's why he's a top 300 prospect, like you mentioned. That's why he's a four-star. Um, he's kind of... It all depends on what his frame can support, I think, the the, the role he eventually assumes. But it, it's largely just a wait-and-see situation. Agreed. Okay, so I guess we can talk about the offensive line as a whole, um, just to avoid kind of... Because at the, at, the, at the high school level, uh, offensive linemen often change from tackle to guard or guard to center, center to guard. So instead of talking about them by position, I think we should talk about the line as a whole. Um, that being said, I, th- I guess the, the best place to go with this first would be Christian Meadows, another Georgia, um, Georgia high school football player, which is important, especially if with a new staff that at least wants to put somewhat of an emphasis on Georgia. It's another big signee for them. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's going to be tough to get, you know, that's going to be a tough place to go, especially we saw what Georgia did today, uh, capping off number one class in the nation. Um, So that's going to be interesting. You look, Florida State got actually three of their offensive linemen are from Georgia. Uh, Christian Meadows, as you mentioned, uh, he's he's the best one of the group. He's going to end up at guard. He's an inside player. He's a mauler. Um, I, I think he's someone that could see playing time at Florida State. Uh, he, he's going to uh, bring bring a lot of a lot of size to that position. Someone who's going to he's type of like a like a road grader type of offensive guard. You know, he's going to have to shape his body a little bit. He's pretty heavy right now, um, but going forward, I, I think he's someone that you could see on the line at Florida State. What about uh, ha- having just me- mentioned McDonald, the tight end? What about Jalen Goss, who has all the the uh, I don't know physical traits that you'd want for for development. That is uh, at six six foot seven, only about two sixty five right now, but I'm sure that will change in a couple years at Florida State. Yeah, it's really interesting. You see a lot of these kind of project offensive linemen. Actually, the number one cl- the number one offensive tackle in the class, um, Nick Petit Freer, um, who ended up at Ohio State, is kind of like a similar mold. You know, real tall and lean. And I think you know, obviously Freer is he's more physically talented than Goss is. That's why he's a five star recruit. But, but with these guys like Goss, you see them, you know, at 6'7", 265. The question just becomes how much weight can their frame hold without losing too much quickness and, and foot speed. So, you know, it's one of those. I think Goss is a great example of a developmental offensive lineman um, who you, you can't necessarily expect or rely on to, to start at Florida State, but someone you hope develops into a player that works their way into a starting position at some point in time in their career. And then the third Georgia offensive lineman that you referenced out of Warner Robins, which of course is a big powerhouse, especially for talent in Georgia. Uh, Christian Armstrong, uh, six foot five offensive tackle, at least he's listed as. This is a player that I could see playing either way. Um, he's already grown into his body at 335. So it, it just depends on where Greg Fry and the offensive staff seem, sees him fitting in best. I think ultimately you probably see him if, if he wants to start um, his best chance is probably on the inside. I don't think he necessarily has the, the quickness to be an elite tackle or someone mm-hmm. that's a bookend. So I think ideally, you know, he's able to slide inside. Um, so that'll be interesting to see as his career progresses. Uh, finally, we have the project of all projects, the 250 pound six foot seven offensive lineman. Um, out of the west coast of Central Florida, uh, Chaz Neal, who at the time of his commitment, many thought would not sign with Florida State. But uh, come early February, here we are. Yeah, um, interesting take. I, I really don't think he's a guy that you're going to expect to start at any time in his, his career. Again, he, he's like the Jimbo athlete that Jimbo used to sign, um, I guess. If you want to like compare him to someone, it's like a poor man's Rick Leonard, someone who's a jumbo athlete coming in, um, you know, super tall, lean, someone who might be able to put weight on. Um, the the biggest thing that you got to remember when you're you're talking about Chaz Neal is that he has a cousin Evan Neal who's a five star oh, yeah. offensive tackle. 
Very important the, thing to remember. In the 2019 class. So that's just something to keep in mind when you're kind of, you know, looking through Florida State's 2018 signee list and, and see a guy like Chaz Neal. One thing I'll say is Jimbo Fisher offered and accepted Chaz Neal's commitment. And then when Taggart took over, he had no ties or no obligation really to Chaz Neal, but he kept him anyways. So one that like m- me and you, uh, our evaluation does not compare to that of Taggart, Jimbo, or their staff. So if, if both those staffs like something about him, um, and I'm not, I'm sure it's not just the connection to the brother, considering it was both staffs, and I'm not even sure Taggart has a relationship with the, the brother yet. It's just, is the brother a cousin? Cousin. Cousin, excuse me. His cousin, Evan. Um, so I'm, I'm sure there's something they like. And it's interesting that they both kind of saw him as an offensive tackle pro- uh, prospect. Okay, so I guess it's time to move uh, on to the defensive side of the ball. Where the defensive line, I would say, kind of, in, in my opinion, got a lot more commits than I would have thought it w- was going to get about two weeks ago. Do you agree with that? Yeah, um, yeah, I agree. Um, guys like Briggs and Chapman especially were were guys that Florida State was able to kind of muscle away from Miami that that I don't necessarily think that many, you know, like three weeks ago, three, four weeks ago, that, you know, they were like expected to sign with Florida State. It was it was battles that they won down the stretch. Oh, well, let's talk about those two guys first. Uh, first off, just talk about Dennis Briggs, what do you think he brings to the table? And... Maybe a little bit about his recruitment and what. Well, Briggs, Briggs, an interesting, um, you know, an interesting player. He's, you know, he's a defensive tackle, but he's listed at six four two fifty two. Um, you know, that's a really tall defensive tackle, and I think he could end up starting out at like a like a strong side defensive end, kind of like a um, Demarcus Walker type player. Um, obviously, not as as naturally talented as Demarcus Walker was coming out of high school, but maybe someone who can flip inside and out depending on the situation um chapman again kind of a kind of a, a tweener player he's six two and a half 258 um again someone who could probably play inside or outside it's going to be interesting to see where the new staff um kind of decides to, to slot him in on the defensive line but ultimately briggs came down to miami and and the funny thing is that miami really needed defensive tackles in this class and Florida State was able to steal two of their, you know, their biggest targets at defensive tackle coming down the stretch away from them. Um, and Dennis Briggs, Dennis Briggs came down to Miami, and uh, Florida State, and Florida State won that battle. What was it now? A week and a half ago? Week, week and a half ago? Yeah. Um, and then on National Signing Day, Jamarcus Chapman again. Miami and Florida State were the two perceived leaders, and Florida State was able to beat Miami out for him. Um, even though Miami has playing time to offer at. Defensive tackle, um, which is another thing we, we can get into later when we go through our like recruiting landscape breakdown. Um, but it's interesting to see, you know, even after Miami's season, the, the season Miami had and the season Florida State had um, coming down the stretch under this new staff, Florida State was able to, to go undefeated against Miami for the most part. All right. So one more defensive tackle that honestly, if, if FSU would have signed him today instead of um, at the early signing period, and if he would have committed today instead of, I don't know, six, seven months ago now. Um, Robert Cooper, defensive tackle, again out of Georgia, already at 380 pounds, Ethan, as a six-foot-two defensive tackle, an absolute, as you said earlier, mauler, just somebody who can move weight um, in the middle and be very disruptive in, in the run game and also get after the quarterback with just sheer power. Uh, what are your thoughts on Robert Cooper? Obviously keep them condensed because most people know who this is and what he brings to the table by now. Yeah, Cooper's going to be an interesting um, interesting player for State. He's obviously right now, he's a space eater. He's someone that can get eat double teams, that type of thing. But it's going to be interesting to see you know, what the staff does with his weight, how far do they want to get him down. Um, I think his ability to maybe drop some weight and become a little bit more mobile is going to dictate whether he's just like a role player as a space eater, or he can, or if he can turn into a starter at defensive tackle, who's like a three-down guy at defensive tackle. Yeah, it, it'll definitely be interesting to see how that plays out. So now we we can move outside. Um, I guess I I think we're going to group the outside linebackers with the defensive ends, at least the ones that we think will play a predominant rush role. Um, first of all. 
another recent commit. I guess technically he committed today, although most knew he was coming since this last official visit weekend. An uh, an Armwood curse breaker, Malcolm Lamar. Yeah, he's definitely going to be a strong side defensive end. He's a big boy, 6'5", 250. He's coming off. I think he had an injury at some point in time this season. Um, he, he's kind of he missed a few games this season. Yeah. He, and he needs to reshape his body a little bit. He needs to drop some bad weight and put on some muscle weight, which is something that I'm sure RLA or is going to be wanting to get into as soon as he gets up there. Um, that's the strength and conditioning coach at Florida state. So it, it's going to be interesting to see what, what Lamar, um, you know, I, I think that when you look at the depth chart, I, I think that Lamar is kind of like a, he, he's end up like a Jalen Wilkerson type player in my opinion. I think okay. that, that's similar to what, what you're looking at, um, especially with the way that, that Wilkerson was able to put together a pretty nice season for Florida State as a situational defensive end. Okay, yeah, I think that's a pretty fair comparison. Now, the the next, the next I guess, and I, he, he's listed as an outside linebacker, but I believe uh, defensive ends coach Mark Snyder said today that he was going to be, be uh, kind of playing a, an end role either as an outside linebacker or as an actual end, uh, Xavier Peters. Yeah, I think big, he's going to... Big, big, physically talented uh, kid out of Ohio. Yeah, no, I think he's going to end up, you know, Florida State. Um, Barnett is a 4-3 guy. So I think he ends up as as the weak side defensive end in the 4-3. Um, you know, he's already 6'4", 225. You get him up there easily to, you know, 6'4", 250. 6'4", 245, and, and, you know, that's a big boy that's going to be able to to rush the passer for you um, with that kind of, um, you, know, you know, that kind of that speed and physicality that you want out of a guy that you, that that's main job is to, to rush the passer. Okay, and uh, last but certainly not least, I guess what you, what you would call the bell cow for this class um, – of course, he did his commitment video with Noel Game Day, what, seven or eight months ago? Feels like a lifetime ago, back when there were no suspicions that Jimbo Fisher was going uh, anywhere. But uh, Amari Gaynor, the Tallahassee native. Yeah, Amari's definitely, um, he was the bell cow of this class. And, uh, but the, the thing is, is you can't, you know, you can't take his, his talent on the field for granted. Which uh, I think a lot of people do. I think it's important to know how good of a player he could potentially be at Florida State. And how weird... And at least for me, I almost view him as a coach now because he's been recruiting for so long. It's going to be weird to see him making plays on the field in Doak. I totally agree. You know, he, he's been involved with the program so closely, being from Tallahassee, that he almost does seem like someone who's not necessarily, you know, a player, like someone who's involved with the program, like a, like almost like a support staff member. Exactly. Um, with the amount of with the amount of time he's spent around the team and, and recruiting, so I think Amari is someone. You know, as opposed to like a. Um, Xavier Peters, I think Amari is one that has a better shot of being um, maybe a stand-up linebacker in a yep. 4-3. Um, I, I think you might see him profile as, as like a Will um, in that yeah. system, so uh, a Will linebacker. So so I think that he, he might fit better as a, as a stand-up guy in the 4-3. So um, that's going to be something to watch and see where ultimately he um, you know ends up in Tallahassee and, and maybe – Maybe they they play him as a stand up linebacker on on the you know early downs and then let him get after the passer from a, a defensive end role later you know you know on third third down obvious passing situations so it's going to be interesting to see what they do with him. I would say let's move back to the the next level which would be linebacker but having grouped the outside linebackers with the uh, ends FSU didn't sign a true middle or a true true stand up linebacker in this class. Um, that we'll just move straight on back to the secondary, which I think that in receiver uh, is is definitely Florida State's strength in this class. We'll start with uh, players who who's been committed a long time, who's always shown interest in Florida State throughout his recruitment. Anthony Litton, um, a five ten corner from Maryland. Yeah, Lytton was a was a five star actually early in the process. He's fallen to. You know he's a high four star now. He's the, he's uh, the number seven corner in the nation. He's the number fifty player overall. Uh, you know Lighten's that guy that he's not. Bi- you know he's not a big corner, but 
he's he's got a lot of natural athleticism, a lot of foot speed. Um, he, you know, he's going to have to work on his technique a little bit, becoming a really technically sound corner when he gets to Tallahassee. Um, but I think he has he has some like Ronald Darby in him to me um, to a certain extent, and, and which is interesting considering they're both from Maryland. But yeah, I, I very see interesting. I, I see them being kind of kind of similar in, in that regard. Um, and that's going to be something something to watch. I think that Lighton is a player that has a very good chance at contributing. I think actually Lighton might be a um, you might you might see him as like a depending on what Florida State you know runs. You might see him as like a nickel in, in certain situations if Florida State opts to run a nickel um, system at any point in time. Uh, so that that's something you could watch. It's so weird, like like I, you know I'm sitting here wanting to say yeah he's going to be the star. You know that doesn't think, exist anymore. Yeah, thinking in the Jimbo Fisher four two five. I mean, yeah, he's going to be the star, but it, but it's um now you know, now have to refer to it as a nickel until until uh defensive until the new defensive staff says otherwise. If Barnett yeah. has a, de- a better term for it, we'll certainly use that. Yep, we gotta gotta we're in a holding pattern right now. Got to see what the new name exactly. is or if they even use it. So exactly. We'll see. Okay. Then then you mentioned, uh, Anthony Lighton needs to get on campus and get more technically sound. Well, the next corner I think is the definition of technically sound. Uh, Asante Samuel jr. Uh, out of South Florida is, I, I think the, one of the best playmakers in this class and in the country I'm a little biased because he went to my high school, but I've seen him play probably 10, 15 times in person, and I, I kid you not, he has never disappointed as far as always blocking a kick, blocking a punt, making an interception, making three interceptions, forcing a fumble, recovering a fumble, returning it for a touchdown. He's he, he has the Greg Reed type of knack for the ball, and I guess the Nate Andrews type that he displayed earlier in his career as a freshman, but uh, uh, except Asante has a, a ridiculous amount of talent to go with it. The only thing holding him back would be his size, um, but if he's utilized uh, properly at Florida State, that shouldn't be too much of a problem considering Levante Taylor, an undersized corner, just had one of the, the best seasons of any corner in the country at Florida State this season. Exactly. Um, I think you pretty much hit the nail on the head. Um, if you stick Asante Samuel and his playmaking skills and everything else into like, you know, the the body of, of someone like, you know, if you if you put his playmaking skills in the body of like a Tyson Campbell or somebody, he might be he's probably the best corner in the country. I agree. Definitely. So, you know, Definitely. it's just one of those things where his size is the only thing holding him back, um, which is why he's still ranked so high despite being five nine. <laughs> Exactly. He's five nine and a half, and he's the number nine cornerback in the country and 60th overall, which is high for a cornerback of that size. You know, it takes a special player to be that high at that size. All right, let's move back to the third blue chip corner in this class. Uh, Isaiah Bolden, somebody who probably wouldn't have signed with, I would say definitely would not have signed with FSU if it wasn't for Willie Taggart, one of, one of those recruits in this class, which there seemed to be a, a, at least a handful of. Um, Again, from Zephyr Hills, Florida, the second player in this class. The other one is Chaz Neal. Um, of course, different height. Oh, did they, did they go to the same school? Oh, they did go to the same school. Yeah, but Isaiah Bolden, um, he didn't play this year. He's kicked off his high school team, uh, so he didn't play oh, that's this right, year. Oh, that's right. That's right. So. That's why I thought it was different schools. Anyways, Isaiah Bolden, 6'2", 175, certainly has a nice frame. Um, I'm not sure what I expect from him as far as his role at Florida State, considering... I think he ends good, up at safety. He's a good player in a in a pool full of good players, and I guess his work ethic and attitude and stuff like that will... His intangibles will play a big role here because there really are about like nine or ten blue-chip players on the roster that are um, try, trying, battling for his same field position. Uh, a good example of this would be Carlos Becker, who's widely recognized as a freak athlete at Florida State, of uh, the potential to be a really good player, but it, he's just had, had a, a hard time battling a little bit injury too, but having a hard time getting on the field just because of how stacked the, the position has been. So uh, take that for what it's worth. But what, what do you see out of Isaiah Bolden? He, he's somebody I have a really hard time projecting. 
I think he arguably ends up at. I think he probably should end up at at free safety, um, because he's a pretty pretty fluid athlete for his size, um, and, and he hits pretty well. You know, you know, he's not afraid of contact, and I think ultimately, I, I don't necessarily think he has the hips to end up, you know, to play at corner, especially with all the talent at Florida State yeah. um, has in has at corner. Um, so I think maybe free safety is his best chance to get on the field. I agree. So before we move to safety, I guess we should talk about, before we talk too much about his his play, I guess we should talk about how Jaden Woodby kind of set the tone for this class. Um, At least that's how I feel. I feel Jaden Woodby kind of completely turned the tide of Willie Taggart's first class at Florida State and maybe just kicked off the Willie Taggart era kind of officially. Because that really got things rolling from a recruiting standpoint, and also started the Westside Knowles um, movement. I don't movement, if you will, and which eventually uh, secured Cam McDonald and Trayshawn Harrison to come along with um, Jaden Woodby, who is the highest-rated player in this class. So, what can you say about Woodby? Uh, Woodby is, is a really, really good safety prospect. Uh, one of the weirdest recruitments I've ever seen. He he literally like you know he tweeted at Tiger from, from the beginning. No no no, but from the beginning, yeah, he had said he his dream schools Florida State, his dream schools Florida State, his dream schools Florida State. From the beginning of his recruitment, and Jimbo, I don't know if didn't want to mess with a, a California kid because he's been spurned by a couple. I, yeah, or, that's where it came from, I think. Or just he's not a very fast player and Jimbo tends not to look at rankings or hype and kind of measurables and, and numbers a little bit. I, I know as opposed to where Taggart kind of has a, if he can play football, he can play football approach, which I mean, both are uh, kind of trying to accomplish different things. Um, uh, I would, th- I would, the only reason I'm, I would say different things is because I think Jimbo has a little bit more pro style approach to it as far as who would be the best prospect instead of who could be the best player right now, if you understand what I'm co- where I'm coming from with that. Well, but, yeah, no, Jimbo, Jimbo is in the, the, Saban, the Saban ideology of finding, you know, you know how Saban's teams just look different, you know, when they walk on the field, and that's largely because he picks his litter of the recruits. But I think, you know, that's what Jimbo goes for too, is he yeah. wants to look different getting off the bus. Yeah, yeah, I agree. Well, anyways, Woodby's a, a playmaker. He's going to be a really good college player. Whatever that means for the next level, I'm not sure, nor do I care, because for the next three years, he'll get a lot of playing time. He might play a lot this year. Um, FSU has safety depth, but not, not a lot of safety experience. So it'll be interesting to see if he can get in the field. He certainly has the body to be on the field right now. Uh, that wraps up the entire recruiting class um, for Tribe 18. Now, I, I would like to just get your take on it, Ethan. Just your overall feeling, like how, how it met your expectations. Um, like, what what does it mean going forward? Just just some general stuff, if you want to. I think the easy way to, to start out and analyzing the class is really like looking at it on an A to F scale. And I think I'd give it a B plus as it stands. I think it would have been an A if they had landed Foster. And um, so, so I think it's a, like I said, it's a very good class for Florida State and Willie Taggart. I'm pretty sure it was the highest ranked class for any new head coach Definitely um, was. that took over this year. I think, you know, like Jimbo at, at A&M and, and, Mullen at Florida were, were the closest to by, you know, about five spots behind him. So, it, you know, it's a really good class for Willie Taggart. And um, he was able to he was able to capitalize on some of the, the relationships he had at or, you know, at Oregon and turn them into commits at Florida State, which is impressive because, you know, he had to convince three guys to come 2,500, 3,000 miles across the country to play at Florida State. So, so I think that's impressive, and ultimately, uh, I think the outlook on the trail for Florida State going forward is extremely positive. Um, with Willie Taggart at the helm, I don't think there's any way to say you know, there's anything, you know, 
I don't think there's any way around that. It, it's a positive thing for Florida State going forward. Unfortunately for Taggart, and I know we're going to jump into this because I, for one, am just like, very intrigued by the change in college oh, football yeah. landscape, especially recruiting. Um, unfortunately for Taggart, good and B-plus is not going to cut it. Obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm not taking anything away from him because this cycle, he has a myriad of excuses. Um, he only had two months. It was a good class for this cycle for the short amount of time. I'm not taking anything away from that, but from now on, from twenty tribe nineteen, tribe twenty, and and so on, it it there is no like you can't have you can't compete for national championships, and people really don't want to hear this, but you can't compete for national championships if you don't win in recruiting consistently and get top 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 prospects. Uh, I would say if you're not consistently in the top five. Um, recruiting if you don't have a top five roster in college football you have a very slim chance of competing for a national championship and i think the stats back that up i said it today on twitter i know after signing the number 11 class today florida state fans don't want to hear it um but that's the reality of the situation and i i think you'll agree with me that national championships are won and lost in recruiting a lot more than people like to admit exactly yeah no definitely one in in recruiting and i think some florida state fans are kind of might not be as as bought into that point right now as as others just because jimbo fisher recruited so well in his last you know what was it it was three or four straight top five classes i think Mm -hmm. and it resulted in a seven and six season so i think that that some fans you know might not be as bought into that point as as they should be because it's true you know you have to recruit an elite level and I think ultimately, you know, as we kind of transition into this discussion about the the recruiting landscape, uh, you know, really, I was thinking about it. Jim Fisher was an elite recruiter at Florida State in his career. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. There's no arguments about it for the, you know, for the most part. He had he had some classes that weren't not really you know, even for the most part. He he was an elite recruiter. There's no yeah. for the most part. He was a top three recruiter in the country while he was at Florida State for that tenure. Exactly. Um. So so. You know, people and people wanted to harp or kind of harp on, you know, the staff's makeup and how how it seemed like there was, you know, some room for improvement in certain areas. But ultimately, you know, like you said, there's not a ton of room for improvement because he was a top three recruiter during his tenure at Florida State. And I think, you know, Jimbo, to a certain extent, I was thinking about this, like, you know, how how do we perceive that he had some faults and had some holes on his recruiting on his staff and still recruit so well over the last four seasons? And I think large it's large largely in part to the fact that they there's some of it not largely I should, you know some of it to the fact that he had such an easy time recruiting in Florida um, with with Miami and Florida being down he didn't have a whole lot of in state competition and, and then you know this Clemson this Clemson runs kind of just picked up steam lately. And um, and now you see Georgia and, and Alabama are kind of taking off. Um, so I think that right now, going forward, um, it, it's almost a bigger challenge for Taggart because the recruiting it's definitely a bigger challenge in the definitely. Southeast has become even more hyper competitive. Now I'm not sure that the state of Florida, like the Miami and, and Florida competition, is insanely difficult right now, um, but with people like Georgia becoming a four, like the the complete and total force that they just became on the trail and Clemson continuing to, you know, pick up steam, even though they're signing smaller classes, um, that the recruiting environment in the Southeast is, is so hyper competitive right now. It's, you know, pretty ridiculous. So I, I have a question just, and if you don't know the answer, that's okay. I don't really expect you to, but do you realize how many, uh, five-star players Jimbo Fisher signed in his first two full cycles at Florida State. So what will be Tribe 19 and Tribe 20 for Taggart? Do you know how many five-stars Jimbo Fisher signed? Seven. Ten. Ten, wow. He so signed that's five. That's five a cycle. He signed six and four in his first two full cycles, which is just ridiculous. I don't yeah. know that any school signed ten in two years since then, or I'm sure Alabama might have. Um, I don't even think Georgia, like, for example, Georgia's last two classes were ridiculous. And I think they signed like nine, eight or nine, which is just like just crazy that people kind of forget about how good Jimbo was a, 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 as a recruiter when he initially took over when FSU didn't have the national championship brand that it had 
um, in 2014. And, Wait, so you're, so are you saying full classes? Yeah, 2011 and 2012, I believe, because he took okay, over so, in 2010. So, so was this this was Kirby's what second full class? This was Kirby's third full uh full class second. This was his second, second. full class. It's his third class, second full class. No, 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 no. This is first full class, isn't it? No, 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 no. Definitely not. He's already coached two full seasons. So Had Rick's coached two years at Miami. Rick has coached two years at Miami. He lost. Yep, he's coached two years in Miami. Okay, that makes sense. Um, um, yeah. So let's see. My point is that, like, when people say, "Oh, Taggart's going to bring like a recruiting prowess to Florida State," and da da da, like, yeah, he is, but he would have to sign ten five stars in the next two cycles to do what Jimbo Fisher did to start, which I, that's just crazy to me. It's crazy to think about now. You know, I, I thought about I thought about this. You know, we had this debate, had a little debate going on in the in the group chat um, earlier today. You know, just how good Jimbo was, because you know that's a hot topic within the the fan base. Of course, but um, and and you, you know, I I was pretty critical of Jimbo this season. I think most of it was justified, but you kind of defended him. And really, going back and looking at the numbers, I, I think that that you were, you know, you were pretty right. Um, I, I think ultimately. It, it was good for Florida State to move on from Jimbo Fisher, and it was good for Jimbo Fisher to move on from Florida State. But that doesn't change the fact that I, I think Jimbo at a new school and Jimbo with some fresh blood around him and can be, you know, he, he's still a top five coach in college football. Especially considering that now we're going to move on to the, the landscape, considering the buying power that Texas A&M has and kind of the resources and the, I don't know, I don't, people always use the term like the commitment level they have, which of course like references like how committed they are to recruiting and and I guess paying recruits, but, dropping bags, yeah, yeah. But I, it's just uh, he seems like he's in a much better position to do what Saban, his mentor, did and does at Alabama. He seems like he's a he's a much better position to do that there. And I think next year you could see him potentially take off in a Kirby Smart type way. Just the level of commitment there that they're trying to, and I don't really like that term because you're just like hiding what what you're really trying to say. You're but saying yeah, it's it's which school has the most money. That's which school has the most money and is willing to take the most out. risks, I guess, and pay the most um, to recruits and offer the most, I guess, non-football. Benefits. The thing that really struck me is looking at things. You know, Florida State's a large public university. The general endowment fund is eight hundred million dollars. Texas A&M's general endowment fund is $8 billion. It's 10 times what Florida State's is. That just kind of puts it into perspective. Oil and ultimately, money. yeah, old oil money. And ultimately, you know, I don't want to turn this into a discussion just about Jimbo Fisher, but I agree with you. And ultimately, I think Jimbo Jimbo did turn his pleas and his things for, you know, newer facilities and stuff, Florida State, um, into too much of an adversarial thing uh, more than he needed to. Um, but ultimately, I think that's ultim- That's why he went to Texas A&M. He doesn't have to even worry about being adversarial at all at Texas A&M. He has, he, no, he has no limit. He has a blank checkbook for any coach he wants to sign. Exactly. They tried to, they tr- he tried to sign away the highest paid coach, the highest paid defensive coordinator in the LSU's DC. That he just, they just, Aranda, they just he, said, he oh, tried to give him $3.5 million we'll a year. We'll just throw $3.5 million how, defensive coordinator. How many coaches in, in the NCAA make Not many. Taggart only makes five. That, you know, that, yeah, exactly. That's, that's so, so, so basically what I'm saying is that is the land. I don't mean to harp on Jimbo Fisher. I mean to harp on the landscape, and that is the landscape. Exactly. Alabama made the blue, created the blueprint. Georgia adopted it and is right now whipping Alabama. Just one class, I, I understand, but... Yeah, that's another thing. Alabama finished seventh. I would love that to talk about cool. how Alabama finished second after one of their better seasons, if not their best. You exactly. Know? Yeah. Like that's the weird thing is that it's not like, yeah. Some we always go, oh, like crazy how Alabama got this kid despite this and this kid despite that. That really didn't happen this cycle. The only crazy kind of one was Patrick Sertan, but it's only crazy because he wasn't really. I don't know. I don't want to say considering him. It wasn't. He was wasn't a major. They weren't. A, Alabama was not a major factor in Patrick Sertan Jr.'s recruitment. Yeah, that's that kind the of reason just, it was they, crazy. They lurked but the if whole you think time. about it from like a standpoint of 
His other option was LSU, and Alabama wins a national title every three years or whatever. Once, at least one every three years. That, like, why is that crazy? It's not like they signed three five-star corners. They only signed one. But my point is, or I guess my question is, how, how do you how do you, how do you think Alabama fell to seventh? I mean, they they signed less blue chip recruits than Mark Richt at Miami. I, I really don't know, and it, I don't know either. I, I have no idea, other than I think there was like this perfect storm of Georgia. Yeah, that was hitting hitting momentum, and that really ate away at, at the the kind of the area. And I think that. To a certain extent, like you start, you start the recruiting class starts, you start building relationships with these kids two, three years earlier, and it, it like at the last second when Georgia comes up and just really gains this momentum and starts cleaning up, you don't only have so much time to like create new relationships and find other areas to pick up recruits in, and and but it even like started out. I mean, I remember people talking about Alabama didn't have momentum early in this class. You know, they were like fortieth. I remember that made news. I don't. I don't know when it was. A little bit before the season started, maybe. And um, I don't know. It, it, it really is bizarre to me how they ended up seventh. Uh, you know, behind a school like you know, you know, Penn State, Miami, um, Ohio State. Um, it, it really is perplexing to me that that schools like you know, like Alabama and even Clemson didn't finish a little bit higher than they did. Um, although Clemson's class is pretty loaded it's just a smaller class just so i I don't know it's a weird thing and i I said i think it kind of transitions into my next point um i said on twitter earlier today i I think and i've said it before i think we're entering like the age i'm gonna call it the age of the super class and and i don't know we'll see if it if it continues but as of now we're seeing these huge classes that are that are just chock full of elite players who don't care that they're coming in with like Justin Fields, who doesn't care that he's coming in behind two five-star, obviously one transferred now, but doesn't care that he's coming in behind a, a, a five-star sophomore quarterback who just led Georgia to the, the national championship game. And you're just seeing this weird, like, just total disregard for depth charts, who's coming, you know, who's pl- coming along in their class, and these recruits are kind of grouping up more. And I think we might find ourselves in this era where there's three to four super classes every year that are just ridiculously good. And and there and there's like a gap between those classes and everybody else just because they clean up so much that that there's a natural gap between the other schools and, and I think it's going to put more of an emphasis on you have to you you need to be one of those super classes every couple of years if you really want to compete for a national title. I said this in different words today on Twitter. I'm going to say it again. I want to see if you agree with me or disagree with me. There are only four schools right now who can realistically talk about winning a national championship. And that is Alabama, Ohio state, Georgia, and Clemson, because those are the only schools that have recruited well enough to be in the discussion. I think that's pretty much true. Uh, I right? think like that, it's, it's so hard for a Florida yeah. state fan to hear. And honestly, like if I was a little bit less analytical about it and a little bit more casual of a fan, which is fine. I mean, everybody can't be as into it as some people. Um, I, I guess I, I would go, well, the, but if you look at facts, if you look at the last probably, what, 10 teams that have won it, I don't know, is there an outlier there? Not that I can think of off the top of my head. They all have had top four or five talent-level rosters. You can't win championships with the number 11th-ranked class or whatever Florida State inked this cycle. And I know, I'm not saying it's a bad class because it's not, and it's a pretty impressive class for the time Taggart had. But I'm just it's saying, just taking all the outside circumstances away. It's not that elite class that you need. Exactly. Exactly. Do you know how many off the top of your head and kind of just try to say it quickly? Cause I know you could probably come up with it if you had time to think, but m- my point is what your initial impression would be. How many, um, five stars do you think Jimbo signed in his last three classes at Florida state? So not this one, his last three at Florida state go off the top 12. of your head. 12, huh? 12. Okay. Nine, which is, pretty i mean close and i'm sure there's some the borderline guys but my point is you got to be expecting i mean jimbo in his latter years at florida state signed three five stars a cycle so so he and he actually signed four two of those cycles and then one the other one but he had like 18 blue chips in that one my point is while it was nice to taper down expectations for taggart this 
this uh, this recruiting class w- in which it was totally fair to do so. Tribe 19, if FSU wants to get back to competing for national championships, has to be a top five class, and it has to be a super class because the other four that are in the top five are going to be super classes. I agree, and I, I you know, I think this is, is a good plug for the little research piece I did about Muschamp and, and Taggart. Um, Muschamp, his first, his little half class um, that he that he signed right after taking over, eleventh in the country, just like Taggart's. So you know what his what was it? You know what his class ranking was the next season? His first full class, three. Yep, third. So so, and, and that led him to that next season, almost you know being almost making exactly in Kirby game. in Kirby's first half class. Let me look at it now because I I'm genuinely cu- curious. It wasn't, but last year's class was real nice. But his 2016 class. He signed, oh, uh, that was a pretty good class, too. He signed the sixth-ranked class. He got three half class? in that one, in a half class, which he, he kept Eason. Remember, that was that class. Yeah, he, yeah. He hung on to Eason. So he signed three, three, and seven five-stars. So in his first three classes, he signed 13 five-stars. Which insane. You think it's insane, right? But if, if FSU wants to compete for national titles, you know who they're going to have to beat, right? What was, what was Jimbo's first three, then? It was if counting the half class. The half class. Let me look right now. Because what you said it was ten. It was it was t- it was six and four. Um, the first half class was three. So yeah, thirteen. Wow. Thirteen. Wow. Can you name the five stars from twenty ten? Before we get too off topic, you know twenty ten. I promise you know them. They. I'll give you a hint. They. They. Uh, two of them started on. The national championship defense, and one of them never saw the field at Florida State in a meaningful game. Christian Jones. Yep. Jacoby McDaniel. Oh, that was before. Uh, missed, missed, that was 09. Uh, um, St. Thomas Aquinas. Oh, um, I, why, why, LaMarcus. Yep, um, LaMarcus Joyner. And then the other one never saw the field at oh, Florida Jeff State. Oh, Luck. Jeff, Jeff Luck. Luck. All Jeff right, Luck. and then I, I'll just go over them quickly, not to waste too much time. And then in 2011, you had Carlos Williams. Timmy Jernigan, James Wilder, Nick O'Leary was four. And then, so that was seven for his first two years, uh, first half year and a half. And then 2012 was ridiculous, which was Mario Edwards, number one defensive tackle in the country. Eddie Goldman, number two defensive tackle in the country. Jameis Winston, number one quarterback. Ronald Darby, number two corner. Chris Casher, number three end. Mario Pender was a five star. And that was it, but that's six. You know, obviously Jimbo was a head coach in waiting, so it's slightly different. There's a little bit it more is, stability it is there. It is definitely. But, but that 13, being said, Kirby, Kirby just took over the same way. The same and way. Signed 13. And in, then what did Jimbo class. do? That was 2012. What did he do next year? Won the national championship. National championship. That's where, that is where national championships are won, right exactly. there. It, and it's not just five stars. It doesn't have to be five stars. If FSU signs 24 stars next cycle, that'll do the trick, too. It's about how much talent you can put on the field at the same time. It's why Alabama has been so successful. Exactly. It's it's a combination. It's of why Alabama loses coaches guys. every single year and doesn't drop off at all because it's not it's not about the X's nose as much as it's about the Jimmys and Joes, especially when you have the best play. You every single game, your worst starter is would probably be the other team's second top three best player. Exactly, and that's what you get when you when you know. That's what you get when you're you're in Alabama, or now what you're going to get when you're a Georgia. I mean, honestly, talking about you know we've we've went over Georgia and what they've done, but like, can we talk about that offensive line class? Oh, we we can. It's going to depress me that that I can never hand the ball off forty times in a game and get average six yards a carry, but we can exactly. Talk. You know, you know, I said that I didn't think a team, you know, we we're talking about the percentages um, of Taggart, you know, how he threw the ball or he only threw the ball about 35, 40 percent of the time. Um, and I said I didn't think a team that ran the ball over 60 percent of the time could beat Bama. Um, but I think Georgia might be able to do it because oh, they're literally yeah, just they turning in. They're just turning into Bama. So, so they got they they have this cycle. They had a five star tackle, a five star guard, the number three guard, which was a high four star. They had the number five center in the country, which was a four-star. They had, um, I think that's it for the the uh, elite lineman in this class. And then the previous class, they had a five-star 
offensive tackle and a high four-star offensive tackle and another high four-star guard. They just have a that that when you can sign players regardless of depth chart, that is when you build dynasties and that is when you build national championship caliber rosters. Like Jimbo Fisher did early at Florida State, like Kirby Smart did at Georgia, like Alabama did, or Nick Saban did when he took over at Alabama. Who else won a national championship? Like Urban Meyer does every single year. Every, I think about Urban the only Meyer one that did it this year, and he had twenty three blue chips and like four five stars this this cycle. Yeah, I know because he, you know, they were they were the number one class almost the whole cycle until they got overtaken a little bit here. Urban right Meyer is a ridiculous recruiter to get that many kids to go to a, a non desirable location. Yeah, not 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 exactly the warmest location, but yeah, no, it, it's it's really insane, and and I think. That's what kind of kind of intrigues me about Dabo Sweeney so much is he's the only coach that necess- hasn't necessarily won big that way. And you I also think, yeah, he hasn't, and he's also I don't think he's even partially committed in in the in the term as in the terms that we were using earlier. I hear that he's legitimately doesn't he's partake clean. in yeah. any extracurricular recruiting activities. Yeah, it, it, which it, is it, just insane. Good for him. I mean, unbelievable. The, what he's got, a, a, the second best, second rate program in South Carolina to do. Uh, yeah, obviously it, now they're the a national brand, but I'm and I think you. it really starts with you know why you saw their all their defensive line come back. Like he's got a he's created a culture there where those guys legitimately enjoy where people turn down first round si- ten million dollar signing bonuses to come play one more year in clubs in South Carolina. Un- yeah, absolutely ridiculous. Anyways, I think we should end it here just because it's it's kind of running long and i think we got a lot accomplished as far as what we wanted to talk about and i think we we kind of shared our our recruiting landscape opinions pretty well which it, it, i don't know about you guys but i i think ethan can agree that it's very interesting oh yeah it, it really taggart, is taggart has to he he has to recruit at a ridiculous level or else it no matter the the rest really doesn't matter in this age and you can't even win. You can't even win the ACC Atlantic without recruiting at a ridiculous level nowadays. It's not even. There's almost no attainable goals that can be won with classes outside the top seven. Agreed. No, yeah, I totally agree. Um, I think you hit it on the head, and I, I think it's ultimately one of those things where you know, a program like Florida State is it has the ability to compete at the highest level, and I think that that. Us throwing it out there that Taggart is going to have to recruit at this elite level, it, it's it's just flat out true. I just want to open you, some eyes as far as it's easy to go, well, if we thought last class was good and it finished 11th, well, maybe 7 would be great. Well, it, it wouldn't be for a full cycle if you, if you want to compete the way Florida State has been for national championships. If you want to be like, you want to know who signs about 11 to 15 every year, Florida. That's the type of program Virginia Tech. That's the type of the type of program that signs. So just a second rate. As far as your Florida, never really has a chance to win a national title, despite some some of their fans might tell you so. But those schools don't really have a realistic chance to, to even make the playoff in most conferences because they're not going to beat Georgia in their own division, and they're not going to beat Alabama in the SEC championship. Florida State's not going to beat. Uh, Clemson in their own division, and they're not going to beat Miami if they don't recruit at the level Miami recruits, which is definitely attainable. I, I predict that they will recruit better than Miami going forward, but um, they were out-recruited by Miami this cycle, so it's a, it's a trend that they're going to have to put a halt to in order to continue to compete. And one, one my, my final note is that luckily recruiting isn't a one-year thing. The team doesn't change per year. It changes per every four years. So, like I just said, in Jimbo's last three cycles, he signed nine four, five stars and uh, and a lot of good four stars for that matter. So, Florida State's roster in 2018 is fine, and it can be fine or in is really really good. It's probably top six or seven in the country. It could compete for the playoff and potentially a national championship if a lot of things go the right way. But um, my point is, Taggart just needs to pick it up from right now, and I think he can, and I think he he might, and he. I don't know if I'm not ready to say will, but I think there's indications that he will. So it's not doomsday. It's just time to set your expectations a little higher going forward. Exactly. I, I agree. And, and I and I ultimately think that that's the thing is you can be totally fine with what 
Taggart did this year in, this, in a certain circumstance and, and and at the same time realize, and I think most fans do, that it has to get better from here. Um, like you said and like you've hammered home, it's completely true that I, especially with the way that these things are trending in these like super classes that Ohio State, Georgia um, – have signed Ohio State and Georgia specifically have signed this year, and then you look at you know like an Alabama signs on a year to year. Do you basis. realize how much higher their margins of error can be because of the talent level? Oh yeah, it, it creates a whole different level of things. It's a whole different game. Did you see at Florida State this this year against Alabama? They had comparable rosters this year. Comparable. Yep. Alabama's was better, but it was comparable, and they still didn't even have to do anything but run the ball and play good defense and win. Like exactly. Yep. It's just it's just a different level of, and it's how it's how Florida State dominated everybody in 2013. But we're rambling, and I think this has been a good episode. Um, we'll definitely be on the next major event. We're not going to update you guys with 2019 recruiting in the first week of the cycle or anything like we, that. We might, yeah, in a couple weeks as some more offers go out. Um, we we can might get back on an and early like a, board and just give yeah. you guys an idea of who who Florida State's pursuing, uh, especially a quarterback because that's now become a pressing need in 2019 and i think the the need will help uh kind of recruit itself because people want to play for national brands and if a national brand needs a quarterback it's another plus but anyways all right we will talk to you guys in a few weeks i'll talk to you later ethan yeah later